Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as mm-hmm. soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online, and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough, and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then, and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email from somebody who said, Hey, Carol, do you really believe that sex addicts can maintain good mental health while they're working on recovery? You know, that is an individual situation. I mean, truly, one of the things that I know is that if you want recovery, you can get it. But what do you have to do? How do you go about doing it? Well, you've got to have a plan. You cannot know how to handle things without a plan. So I want you to get out your notes, get out your phone, and write down at least five things you're willing to do to make your life better. Um, you know, the, the reason is that if you just handle it spontaneously and you don't have a plan set out to make your recovery better, well, what will happen is you'll get complacent. You'll say, oh, I'll do that tomorrow, or oh, I'll catch that next week. And when you do that, you set yourself up for failure. And that's always an issue. So one thing I know is that you need a strong support system. Do you have that? You have a strong support system that can encourage you and inspire you to do well. That's what I'm looking at. You know, that's why I say meetings are so important. 
anything that really focuses on sex addiction because it is the hardest addiction to curtail, to manage. Um, Yes, I tell people that eventually if they work the steps hard enough, if they have a good enough support system, if they practice rigorous honesty to the point that there are no issues too small, any issue has to be answered with honesty. You know, when they're practicing that kind of rigorous stuff, hey, I will ensure that you will get healthy. Because you can't be an addict in recovery and lie. It's just absolutely impossible. Now, do you believe that? Do you think you can tell a white lie? I think you've heard me tell the story of the man that was addicted to meth and heroin and sex. And he was going to one of his meetings, and for whatever reason, the leader said, is anybody, was was anybody late today, tonight? And he had been a couple minutes late, but he didn't raise his hand. And that night he went out and acted out. Now, you know, here's a man that felt shame because he had not practiced this rigorous honesty. And when he knew better, he did better. And so he did eventually get into great recovery and maintain it because he worked on that basic principle, rigorous honesty. And that means you You don't lie to yourself. If you're in partnership with somebody, you don't lie to them. You don't lie to your boss. You don't lie to your pastor. You don't lie to your neighbor. That's what counts. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about me last week. I was actually on vacation, and I can't even believe this happened to me. I was celebrating my sister's 60th. I met my husband down there. Then he left. And then about 10 women came. And, you know, it was just an amazing time. In the meantime, um, I was, I can't even say I was running around. But I'm I'm a bebopper, you know. I'm the Energizer Bunny. I don't do anything slow. So I'm walking down these super slip. Slick, slick stairs. Now, I didn't know they were slick until I fell. I hit a water puddle, and my foot went up as high as my head, and bam, I crashed down onto the edge of three stairs. My head hit one stair, and I mean the edge. My ribs hit another, and then my hip hit the third. I was um, incapacitated for just a few seconds. You know, when something traumatic happens to your body, your body just kind of shuts down. But being embarrassed and wanting to get back to the party, which was really the pool, 
I picked myself up and I got out there. And that was Halloween day, Thursday. And I was hurting for certain, but I was with 10 women, two of which were nurses. So, you know, everybody got together and got me cold packs and hot packs and wraps and a leave. And, you know, they just, just really took care of me. And I am a redirector. I have a high, uh, high, high pain tolerance. And I redirect my thoughts. Um, and that's what I teach my clients to do. So I redirected my thoughts. I went on, got up the next morning, walked a mile and a half, which I usually do three, but I didn't want to push it, and I didn't go as fast. But I did get to the beach, and I shopped, and we ate, and we went to the comedy club. You know, it just was a really nice time. It was my sister's 60th. I'm all about celebrating. So I come home late Saturday night. Sunday I work nine hours. And then I decide, you know what, I know I know that if I've broken anything, which I thought I broke my pelvis, they can't do anything for me anyway. But I, I guess I really shouldn't be in denial, right? Denial, you don't even know you're lying to yourself. <laughs> so I said, I'll go and get a diagnosis and then maybe I'll get some Flexeril or something to feel better okay Sunday night I'm at the neighborhood emergency center tell them what I did they look at the bruise they say yeah we're going to have to give you a CT they do that and um, the doctor came back and he said you are a walking miracle and I looked at him like what does that mean he said, the good news is you didn't break your pelvis. And he said, the bad news is you broke your L1, your L2, your L3, and three ribs. Now, later on, they found out it really was four ribs. So here I am walking around, doing my exercise, carrying my suitcases, closing down my condo with all those breaks. And so I have just been a little bit in the twilight zone. This show is actually an hour earlier. But I know that if you subscribe to the show, it could come on at 2 in the morning. You will get my show. So normally I do 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, but I actually work today. After I spent a little less than 19 hours in a hospital, they... um, admitted me. They wanted to watch me. Um, They also then released me, said, we can't do anything for you. And um, set me on my way. So, denial. The acronym is don't even know. I am lying to myself. We all go in it. We all use it. I just wrote a column on it that was sitting on the table in the emergency room. I write columns for different magazines. And I just picked one up. And uh, it said, do you use defense mechanisms to help you? 
or to hurt you. Because we all know defense mechanisms are a wonderful thing. They can protect us. They can keep us safe. But they also, when used in extreme ways, can keep us in the dark. Can keep us, and I identified three in my article, being justification. When you justify something. Now, I did justify. I said, I do not want to ruin my sister's birthday. You know, I put this whole thing together, and I am going to have a good time. That's what I said. Even though I didn't know about all the breaks, I said, I am going to have a good time. I justified it. She deserves to have a good time. Minimize, minimization. Did I minimize? Oh, yeah. I definitely would not have been able to do what I did if I'd gotten to the hospital sooner and gotten that diagnosis because, I mean, come on. I'm 63 years old. I'm incredibly youthful. I paddleboard, I rollerblade, I bike, I power walk. You know, I love music. I love life. But at 63, actually 64 this week, um, I am, I know to take better care of myself than to run around on ibuprofen and think that I'm okay. So we have justification, we have minimization, we have rationalization. Did I rationalize? Oh, absolutely. I said to myself, I do think something's broke, but I think I'd be in more pain. So I must not really. I must not have as many problems as my intuition is telling me. I rationalized it, and I said, and I don't want to spoil anything. I rationalized that it was worth it to put myself in that kind of situation uh, for the sake of the group. All right. My sister just sent me a text. So thankful you're taking care of you. Let me know if you need anything. Love you. Um, Because I told her I didn't have the energy to talk tonight. Well, I do have the energy, but it's only to talk to you all. And so I put all of those um, defense mechanisms under the heading of denial. And you've heard me say it before. Denial is the number one recovery task that we work addicts out of when they get into recovery. We don't let them stay in denial. And I promise you, they will go back in denial. And when they do, we really work hard at breaking it again. You know, that's why um, an addict can have pornography in their inner circle. And then they're doing so well with that, they allow themselves to look at bathing suit pictures. And they say, well, it's not the same as pornography. But it is because it lights up the reward center in exactly the same way. Okay, so that's a little bit about denial and the three primary defense mechanisms that we use under that heading. Now, we're going to be talking to um, an addict in recovery. And he 
has made it his mission to study all the different philosophies and modalities that can be helpful in recovery. So we're going to talk about those. But what he knows to be true is that the number one modality you should use when you're in sex addiction recovery, it's connection. And so I am very happy to have Jim on the show as he explains to us a little bit about his life and certainly a little bit about what he studied and more importantly, why he believes connection is crucial to healthy sex addiction recovery. Jim, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. Yeah, thank you, Carol. Glad to be here. Yes, well, I so appreciate you coming on. You've got you've got a lot of wisdom, Jim. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And and you've been through a lot, and I know that you didn't feel it necessary to go through the whole thing. But I would like for you to just give them a brief uh, update on um, how you're doing today and, and where you started how many years ago. Um, yeah, it's uh, been a long time. I, I think that my addiction uh, probably started uh, in adolescence, um, and uh, I'm now uh, almost 62 years of age. Um, and uh, um, the uh, um, I'm not only addicted to sex, but also to alcohol and marijuana. Um, and uh, I have lost uh, quite a few things as a consequence of my addiction, uh, including my career, um, and have been uh, through a lot of rehab um, altogether uh, uh, a total of a year in residential rehab uh, uh, facilities. Um, and of those three addictions, um, I have been able to do fairly well with alcohol and marijuana. I, I've been sober from alcohol. I've been in recovery for seven years, uh, sober from alcohol for six years, and from marijuana uh, for three years. Uh, but I continue to struggle, struggle with my sex addiction. It, it's been very difficult uh, for me. Well, and so you are of the philosophy that truly sex addiction is probably the toughest addiction to manage and to recover from. Um, yeah, I think so. And um, the reason uh, it's probably so is that um, our brains are designed um, to uh, want sex um, and to seek it. And if um, if that wasn't so, mankind would not exist as a species. Um, and so it's a very natural drive, um, whereas uh, other drugs and alcohol, you know, even though they may be exceedingly addictive, uh, you don't have to deal with this natural drive uh, that's always present there. Um, so uh, for, for at least for me, it's been uh, very difficult. Okay, and you said you yeah. lost your job and, and really your career. So you right. had some pretty yeah. 
strong consequences. Can you just give us a two-minute synopsis on that? Yeah, uh, I, I was actually a, a pediatrician for 30 years. And uh, um, I, uh, as a result of my addiction, uh, they uh, decided I should not uh, be practicing uh, that anymore. And uh, a chain of events uh, resulted in me losing my medical license or having to surrender it. And so, uh, um, yeah, so I, I lost that, lost a, a uh, attempt at a second career uh, as a therapist. Um, and so uh, I have been uh, uh, stymied. Um, and I'm very grateful that my wife is still with me uh, through all this. But she, of course, has her limitations as well. And, you know, I'm sure she's eventually going to get fed up. And that would be an even bigger consequence for me. Well, yeah. And, and so, she's um, actually set some fairly um, firm boundaries. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that yeah, absolutely. you have a you have a filtering system that I always encourage men to get. Well, it doesn't matter which one it is, but your filtering system, uh, Covenant Eyes, likes to report back to the wife if at all possible. Tell us about the boundaries she set there. Um, well, uh, she. Uh, uh, never wanted to be surprised by a report from Covenant Eyes. Uh, If I had uh, triggered the system by trying to look at something I shouldn't be looking at, uh, she wanted fair warning because nothing uh, made her more angry than to wake up in the morning and get her email that I had uh, um, tripped the system. And so that that was one of the things that uh, really bothered her, yeah. Well, yeah, and so she put her own self-care before you, and I always encourage women to do that, to put their own Mm -hmm. self-care first. What do you Mm -hmm. think about that? Oh, yeah, I think that's essential. Um, And, yeah, the uh, um, things were kind of tough in the first few years of recovery, and uh, I think part of the reason was that uh, my wife uh, didn't really do anything to help herself uh, to, uh, you know, deal with the trauma. Uh, and uh, um, she really didn't do anything like that. And um, a lot of uh, what uh, went on between us was, uh, her, uh, you know, throwing shame and guilt my way uh, and being angry and me uh, feeling extremely depressed. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, and it, it just encouraged me to act out more <laughs> to try and medicate my feelings uh, to deal with that. So, so three years ago, uh, I spent a long time uh, in rehab and during that time, she uh, found a CSAT uh, and started uh, having talking to a coach and doing a bunch of reading. Um, and when I came out of rehab, 
uh, she had uh, three pages of um, safety guidelines, things that she expected me to do uh, in order for her to feel safe. And it wasn't um, her trying to control me, really. It was her saying, this is what I need uh, from you uh, in order for, for me to have uh, a, a stable life. Um, and, uh, you know, bottom line, uh, if you don't do it, here's the consequences. Uh, if you ignore the consequences, then, you know, it's going to be over. And so that I, I, I'm glad she did that because I think our relationship has been uh, much better uh, over the last few years, uh, dramatically better. Um, and uh, we now do things as a couple uh, to uh, stay healthy, uh, such as devotions every morning and meditation. We started a couples group here in town, uh, and uh, um, it, uh, uh, it's, it's been very good. You know, it's been a very healthy experience, uh, and has, intimacy has grown because of her making some rules and taking care of herself. Yeah, and, you know, you really do. I was saying at the beginning of the show that it is so important. Uh, by the way, Jim, I'm sorry that my dog just did that. Somebody knocked on the door. Um, oh. <laughs> but it's really important to have that infrastructure to set up recovery. And so the devotionals that you do with your wife, um, what does that look like? Can you give us an example mm-hmm. of one or briefly yeah, yeah. describe um, one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we uh, uh, do 10-minute meditation, and that is, uh, is an app. And I can't honestly remember which one it is we're using right now, but, uh, and, uh, but there's an app. We do a 10-minute meditation, and then we're reading uh, daily devotions from uh, Pia Melody, I believe. Uh, Mm-hmm. Or is it Melody Beatty? That about codependence. Um, there's a, a daily devotion uh, from her, and then uh, there's a book uh, for couples in recovery uh, uh, by the Leadums, and they're they're a couple, both of whom are sex addicts, or not? Excuse me, addicts, not necessarily sex addicts, but they're they're therapists uh, um, in New Jersey, I think. And, and they've written a book that has daily devotions and is uh, really, uh, really good. We've, this is actually the second time we're going through it. Uh, but a uh, uh, very, very good book. Um, and, yeah, I've had uh, the readings on the show. Great, great. I was wondering about that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's what we do uh, every weekday. And, uh, um, and it's, it's been a really good experience. We've been doing it for Oh, year and a half or so, I think. Long time, and it's it's yeah, it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so that's how you start your day. And I'm all the time talking to people about starting your day in a positive way to begin to build what you need for the rest of the day. And I know that one of your personal goals has been to make phone calls. And and my belief is addicts in recovery should make one phone call a day where they're checking in on somebody, kind of doing that 12-step work, and then one call a day where they're checking in with somebody because they're struggling with something. 
So tell me, scale of one to ten, ten being, oh, Carol, it's so easy for me to check in with my fellowship, and one being not at all, what number would you give it? Mm, two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, not, tell it's everybody it's not why you give it a two. Yeah, uh, and and not a uh, uh, one. Uh, no, um, yeah, um, I, I I really thought about this. It's just re- it's really hard for me to call people up, and um, I thought about this. And um, one is that I had a lot of rejection uh, by my peers uh, growing up, uh, uh, very hard time socially. And another thing um, is that um, I'm the oldest of six, and my mom says that she once ran out of the house screaming and uh, because she was just overwhelmed, and the neighbors had to come and take her out for coffee and babysit us, and, you know. And I don't remember that, but, you know, I kind of wonder if, if the one I grew up is don't bother other people uh, because they may be right on the edge, sort of, uh, and you might lose them uh, as a resource. Um, and the other thing, um, not none of but which are true. I mean, um, I have not been rejected by my peers. Uh, I haven't pushed any of them over. <laughs> uh, uh, but the third reason is, is, um, and I've heard this from other addicts as well, you don't want to be held accountable. And um, it's like uh, if I was getting ready to act out, I don't want to call somebody up and be talked out of it. I've already decided that I'm going to act out, and so I don't want it, you know, anybody to, to hold me accountable or to do anything. And so a lot of guys say, oh, yeah, I always end up calling somebody afterwards to confess, uh, but not before. And so uh, so those are the kind of reasons I've come up with, none of which are valid, of course. Uh, and uh, uh, I just have to do it even though I don't feel like it. So, and there's um, – Well, and, and give us an example. Uh, I, say that again. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say that there there are uh, some uh, um, reasons in terms of neuroscience, I think, um, Mm -hmm. that uh, this is so. Um, And um, because basically uh, there are three primary systems operating in our brains. Um, And uh, and they're all very primitive. Um, One is uh, the fight-flight uh, system, which is your amygdala and feeds into the rest of the limbic system. And, you know, as it, it survival in terms of evolution, running from danger or fighting when you could, um, you know, very important. Um, and then the uh, – and so this is very primitive and subconscious. It, automatically, we, we hear about it afterwards after the fact, after the fear has already kicked in. Um, And then the next is your reward pathway, your mesolimbic pathway, which is also in the limbic system. And and, uh, and we're talking about 
the level of reptiles with these systems, you know, very primitive, subconscious, automatic, uh, uh, deep, deep in our subconscious, and uh, uh, um, something that we, we needed to survive. And, and the methylimbic pathway is your reward pathway, and primarily it's food and sex. And you got to eat to survive, and you got to have sex to procreate and keep the species going. Um, and very primitive, essential drives. And the last one is uh, uh, more recent in terms of evolution. And that is connection and bonding um, and is uh, modulated by the pituitary gland which secretes oxytocin and vasopressin. Um, and those um, uh, hormones uh, produce kinship, bonding, friendship, you know, those feelings, um, it, 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 that, that's where that comes from. And that's because as the species evolved, uh, hanging together helped us as a species survive um, and you know kill a mammoth it takes more than one guy uh, and uh, um, takes a village to raise a child you know <laughs> um, so so but but those that, that those are the three systems and so those things are kind of competing and um, the uh, to deal with the um, fight flight which many of us are activated all the time because you, you know, you see on the news about another shooting and that produces fear and anger, yet things like that, all this anxiety that's always with us, um, even though there's no present threat. And so to deal with that, we turn to the mesolimbic pathway and overeat or become sex addicts or zone out on TV or whatever to try and deal with that. Uh, whereas if we went with a third way and increased our, our network and social interaction and bonding, uh, you know, that would be another alternative. But for most, many of us, it's not. Um, you know, I've always been a loner. I, I have, you know, I, I felt good about it. I haven't felt lonely, um, just excluded sometimes. And so, uh, um, yeah, so why try if you're going to be excluded? So, so this is a whole new experience for me, having a bunch of people that know me uh, and know my story and like me um, and are willing to talk to me. But it's just really hard reaching out. So that's a lot of information there. But <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because – I, too, feel like there's probably a leaning curve towards people that would say, yeah, I socially isolated early on in my life and developed that pattern. And then when I looked at porn or I participated in prostitution or web chats or whatever, it kept me further isolated from people. So it reinforced that isolation theory anyway. And then, of course, connection, which we all say is the antidote 
for sexual addiction recovery, connection breaks that habit. It breaks the behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and when you're when you're and now you're talking about this, I actually kind of in a very warped way uh, sought connection uh, um, through my addiction by going to swing clubs, you know, and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. trying to be part of part of the group. Um, but the fact is, my the experience was, um, yeah, uh, if they don't really like you, then they're just going to move on to somebody else. Yeah, you, you, there's no there's no real bonding there. It's just about having fun and satisfying your selfish desires, and you know, there's no okay. It's very superficial, and so uh, it, oh, it doesn't do anything to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier, right before you came on, about being in denial and using defense mechanisms. Now, Mm -hmm. when you talked about swing clubs, and of course, we're not going to go into any detail. We don't want to trigger anybody. But would you say that you rationalized that behavior because you were an isolate, or you justified that behavior because you tended to isolate, or you minimize that behavior because you wanted to continue to fool yourself and tell yourself that was a way to be part of the crowd. Uh, well, I justified it. That, that, that was one way of saying uh, it was okay is because I wanted to have fun with people. Yeah. And, uh, and be part of the crowd. So um, that, uh, you know, then I wouldn't feel guilty about dragging my wife there. Um, and, uh, um, so yeah, I would say it was justification. Um, and yeah, and I, and I realize now that, yeah, it was, it was not good. It was not a, an experience of connection, uh, at all. Um, and it's all very superficial. Mm-hmm. Okay. So but, what uh, are you doing mm-hmm. today since you really are? in way better recovery than you've ever been um, in mm-hmm. terms of where you were when you needed over a year of residential treatment. What are you doing to increase that connection? Um, well, I just made a commitment uh, in group therapy to call somebody every day from the group uh, and, uh, yeah, do it regularly. Um, and so, uh, I'm going to do that. I, I had, the, I got challenged a couple of weeks ago and I did it for a week and then I immediately dropped off. Um, and it was not painful. I have to say it was okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And people were not upset to hear from me, did not reject me. Uh, yeah, I did not, uh, uh, no bad feelings from calling people up. So. Okay. And, you know, I guess that phone calls are, are a good way to get that done. Do you, do you work on connecting with men any other ways that are healthy? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, uh, well, I, I go to quite a few meetings still. Uh, I'm up to five meetings a week. And twice a week I go to breakfast uh, with the guys, sometimes three times a week. 
and I have uh, developed a friendship um, with uh, a good friendship um, uh, with uh, um, someone in the program, and we try and go hiking uh, every uh, week or two. Uh, and then we've been in, just remembered I forgot to invite somebody that I had been inviting. <laughs> We've been adding people to our group <laughs> to go hiking too. And uh, uh, I'll have to text him after the show. Uh, but yeah, and so that, that's been a lot of fun. Getting out in nature and getting some exercise, it's, that has been very helpful to me. I, I used to do that a lot and hadn't recently. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, being out in a natural environment is, is, is really good for my uh, soul, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would 100% agree. And, and you've got this impulse control disorder that I know can mm-hmm. be tough. Yeah. So you've mm-hmm. actually studied some Eastern philosophy to help calm that down. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been studying and how it's working for you? Uh, yeah, well, I uh, um, uh, uh, did a lot of reading on um, mindfulness meditation um, and also Buddhism uh, as a philosophy, not as a, a religion. I consider myself Christian, and uh, but Buddhism as a philosophy is, uh, um, I think, really insightful. Um, and I'm also doing um, brainwave entrainment. And uh, jury's still out on that. I've been doing it for three months, but it takes time. Uh, but that's a kind of a meditation uh, um, is the goal of that, uh, to put your brain into a meditative stance. Um, and I also uh, was curious, um, because I think meditation is really useful in recovery. Um, so I did uh, um, some research about um, how it works in the brain. Um, which is uh, uh, really quite interesting. Um, and uh, um, it makes sense that it would be helpful. Um, and uh, do you mind if I talk about that real quick or about the neuroscience? Oh, absolutely. I would love for you to talk okay. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and there's a, uh, um, a really good YouTube video um, that's, Neuroscience of Meditation or How Meditation Works. Uh, and um, that's, it's really good. Um, and uh, basically it talks about two networks. Um, so the systems that we were talking about were mostly subconscious and very primitive. And this is more like the uh, RAM, the um, things that are active in the brain. Um, and one is the default mode network uh, which is uh, uh, connected to, uh, it involves a lot of different places, but it's also uh, connected to the uh, um, amygdala. Um, and that, uh, what that tends to do, it's, it's kind of a uh, idling, you know, where your brain's at. Um, and it's, you're thinking about the past, um, or you're thinking about the future um, and just spinning the wheels, ruminating, uh, running things over and over in your head. Uh, some of the nodes in the brain have to do with social interactions. 
And so, you know, the theory is that maybe you're running through your relationships um, and feeling anxious about them, uh, worrying about them, you know, projecting into the future what might happen. Um, and and so it, it, it's not a very positive um, experience, um, but it's, it's kind of what your brain needs to do, you know, look at the past, it's plan, shoot, to project into the future and plan it out, try and figure it all out and worry about it if you need to, and, you know, and so, but that's not necessarily a good place to be. Um, the alternative is the task, task positive network. Uh, which is in a different part of the brain, um, and you can't have both of these networks running at the same time. It's one or the other. And the TAMS-positive network is, um, excuse me, um, is concerned with the present moment and with focused attention uh, on whatever is happening in the moment. And there isn't all this rumination, there isn't all this fear and anxiety, it's just focused in the here and now. And when they look at uh, the brains of people that are meditating, that's what tends to light up. Um, and uh, it's, it's, you know, so when you meditate, you get to this, Focusing on one thing in the moment um, and not thinking about the past and, and the future, which, you know, in recovery, I mean, this is some AA who's fought for years is just stay in the moment, you know, past is done, future hasn't happened yet. Uh, it's just in your imagination. Um, and so uh, uh, focusing on the now um, can really help to calm things down. Um, and uh, as opposed to running through all the possible things that could go wrong in the next hour, you know, or whatever, in the next day. So, uh, um, so anyhow, it, 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 it makes some sense um, in terms of neuroscience, too, why meditation might work. And, uh, um, and there are a lot of, lot of things in Buddhism that um, uh, talk about mindfulness, staying in the moment, um, and, uh, um, you know, all having your mind in the right place, basically, um, and free of all this clutter that we put in there. So, so well, yeah. And, and I'm, a, belie- I'm a believer, just mm-hmm. like you, Jim, that it's super important to create behaviors that move you closer to your goals as opposed to just thinking they'll happen or, or wanting it to happen and just assuming that the right behaviors will show up. So, I mean, you've done a lot of good work at studying and listening to and watching YouTube to help you be able to train your brain to act differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but the problem is with me is that I have been looking for a solution and trying a lot of different things while ignoring uh, one of the biggest things, uh, which is really connecting with people on a daily basis, uh, putting myself out there 
uh, and, uh, um, you know, checking in. Um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I go to meetings and I, I do all these other things and sponsor people, et cetera. But um, making that daily connection is not something I have done. I've been trying to do it on my own when it's it's a we effort, and that's you know that's the first the first step is uh, we alcoholics. Um, it, it, it's not there's no I statements I don't think in the in the twelve steps. <laughs> it's all we. Yeah, isn't that an interesting phenomena? There are no I statements because. It's really about getting out of our own head, getting out of our own Mm -hmm. space, and, yes, recognizing suffering, but transforming that suffering into doing for others. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sharing our experience, strength, and hope. Yeah. That's right. So as Mm -hmm. we begin to wrap up the show, I am wondering – what you might want to share with our listening audience to give them some strength, hope, and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that it's um, important in a couple for both members of the couple to try and take care of themselves um, and to have try and establish healthy boundaries um, because uh, – that's what helps to build um, your uh, uh, coupleship. Um, and then as things settle down, you can add the things you do together uh, to uh, help strengthen your relationship as well. Um, but some, some of the, I guess the other thing that I wanted to say to addicts is that um, just go with the program um, you know, even if it doesn't feel right, um, and uh, even if uh, you really don't want to, um, you know, uh, I think it's good to say, okay, well, I'll act as if. I'll, I'll try this and see where it takes me. And I don't have to necessarily commit to it till the end of time, but I'll make a commitment for today. Um, and uh, to do that, uh, I think, can get you a long way uh, to do it one day at a time. Um, I it, It's very difficult. I haven't had a drink for six years. Um, what, when, I, when I first stopped drinking, to think, I can never have another martini again. Um, it, it, that really mm-hmm. that. That bothered me a lot, uh, but um, now um, I realize all I really have to say is, I don't think I'll have a martini today, and I can deal with that, um, you know, if it's, there's not that sense of never, um, and, uh, you know, I could even say, well, okay, if, uh, you know, things don't change, Maybe I'll have a, a, a martini next week, but <laughs> yeah, you know, even to, to me, if I, if it's still bothering me, but I won't have one today, and it just just stay in the moment as much as possible, uh, because our minds just take us all kinds of terrible places, um, and uh, yeah, um, and that's what 
all those cognitive uh, distortions um, that my addict brain has built up to justify my behaviors um, have, uh, um, you know, they're, they're still there. Um, I'm just getting better and better at disarming them and to say, oh, yeah, that's rationalizing and to uh, go the other direction and, and not listen to it. But, uh, but all those things still pop up in my mind even after seven years. And I know better, you know, than through all this treatment. But uh, Well, and yeah. I, uh, you are living proof that you can do a lot of work on yourself and still revisit some of those old thoughts, old patterns, and old behaviors. But as Patrick Karn says, imagine a hand moving that thought away because that thought is very mm-hmm. short term. It is here mm-hmm. now, yeah. and it's not necessarily going to be here in five seconds. So mm-hmm. we have yeah. much mm-hmm. more power than we acknowledge. Jim, mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing your hope, strength, and recovery with us, and keep us posted on your progress, especially with connection. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Thank you, Carol. All right. So, again, that was Jim, and he has so much wisdom. He has been through so much. He could teach the course on recovery, and you heard him admit it can still be a struggle. But I hope he gave you some hope, strength, and recovery, as we do every week, because you know you're only one of us at all times. So I want you to fearlessly have the, fearlessly have the courage to be yourself and um I hope to report that my back is a lot better next week because even that is a day at a time. Make it a good one.